Welcome to S2 Underground, a freelance intelligence agency fighting terrorism, fake news, and political tyranny around the world. I'm the trouble starter, punkin' instigator. Alright everyone, welcome back to the Underground. It has been a long week, whether from toilet paper shortages or the dozens of people who have been trying to take us offline. It's been a week of long hours and hard work. So to those of you who stick around, we love you, no homo, and thank you for your ever-enduring support. This week we will firstly take a look at the hot military news this week, the peace agreement with the Taliban. We will not go into great detail, but a limited peace agreement with the Taliban was officially signed by both the Taliban and the United States earlier last week, uh, with stipulations for a complete and total troop withdrawal, which is beginning now. Uh, The agreement also included a complex ceasefire agreement, uh, though combat operations have resumed for now. Enemy-initiated attacks have also not really subsided despite this peace agreement, with several IDF attacks hitting bases all over Afghanistan, so business as usual. So what does this peace agreement mean for the U.S.? Well, for one, if the peace agreement goes through, we would no longer have a presence in Afghanistan. Um, If that were to happen, uh, Russia, Pakistan, Iran, really any number of proxies would almost certainly increase their presence in Afghanistan in order to fill the power vacuum that the U.S. would leave. Now, it must be noted that at this stage, these are big ifs. Um, Despite the U.S. agreeing to a total troop withdrawal, no one who who has spent five minutes in country actually believes that. Um, Most people would agree that the U.S. would have a very small special forces contingent, which would most likely serve to support a very small intelligence network. Without getting sucked into the Afghanistan debate once again, uh, suffice it to say that it would be very difficult for one, the U.S. to totally withdraw, and two, the Taliban to actually agree to a peace agreement and stick with it. Whatever happens, the legacy of the Afghanistan fiasco will live on in history alongside Vietnam, Korea, and Somalia, and every other insurgency that the U.S. has fought and lost. Also in diplomatic news this week, the refugee crisis within Turkey rapidly escalated. Um, For those that haven't been following what's going on, here's a brief recap. Uh, Due to an escalation in violence in Syria, many refugees have sought to exit the nation and head to Europe. Uh, So far, the numbers of these refugees has varied widely. It's very hard to get a credible source, um, but initial rough estimates put the numbers at well over 100,000, and it's probably closer to several hundred thousand, to be honest. Previously, Turkey had closed their borders to these refugees, but several weeks ago relented to mounting internal pressure and declared the Turkish borders open. Um, Since then, Turkey has allowed refugees to travel through the Turkish countryside, and now tens of thousands have ended up at the Turco-Grecian border. Greece, facing their own internal economic crisis right now, and with the support of the EU, has closed their borders and activated several thousand special forces soldiers to prevent what they are referring to as essentially an invasion. So right now, there are tens of thousands of people at the Grecian border demanding entry to Greece, and by default, the rest of Europe. Here's where things get kind of wild. Um, Turkey doesn't really want the refugees in their country, uh, despite what they may say. 
Um, while, yes, Syrian religion and culture is similar enough to make the refugees sort of fit in, their cultures are still quite different. Um, plus the sheer number of refugees, roughly 4 million since the conflict started, um, have created a lot of economic instability for Turkey. In fact, uh, Turkey doesn't even call them refugees at all, simply referring to Syrian refugees as guests. Uh, this is due to the, to the wording of the latest Geneva Conventions Charter that provides certain rights and protections for refugees. Uh, so a few days ago, Turkey deployed over 4,000 Special Forces troops to the Grecian border to, quote, protect their guests. What they're really doing is preventing Greece from driving the refugees back from the border and back into Turkey. Uh, Istanbul, Turkey's largest city, is a little over 100 miles from the Grecian border, which in terms of hundreds of thousands of people is quite close. So what does this mean for us? Well, right now, tensions between Greece and Turkey are extremely high, and any clashes at the border could easily escalate into a larger European conflict. Um, Western media is likely to take this out of Turkey, uh, because a crying refugee is always great for the camera. Plus, Greece closing their border is sort of an analog for the U.S. closing its own border, which the media is certainly against. Um, the two countries and similarities are very close for Western media to make that connection. Um, this is not to mention the impacts of the coronavirus. Um, the refugees are living in horribly unsanitary, very close conditions with very little medical care. So it's only a matter of time before the virus enters that population and spreads throughout other groups as well. Um, when that happens, it will be a much more complex issue. Uh, the EU will have to figure out how to keep a large group of infected people out of Europe while at the same time not look like they're leaving sick people to die. Turkey is already deploying their troops to the border not to protect their guests, but essentially to keep them pinned up against the border until Greece relents and lets them in. Um, in short, it's a highly complex situation that we'll certainly be monitoring over the coming weeks. And moving on to the hot news this week, the coronavirus. So many stores throughout the U.S. this week have experienced shortages, just like we predicted last week. Um, so far, the most heavily hit stores have been in downtown urbanized areas and obviously the most heavily populated areas. Um, soap, hand sanitizer, toilet paper, shelf-stable goods, and bottled water have been the primary items that have been in short supply in major cities throughout the week. Now, it must be noted that these shortages are almost certainly temporary and are being made worse by mainstream media. Um, these shortages are, are simply the result of demand greatly exceeding supply, which is also inherent within a society that thrives on the two-day delivery system. Um, consequently, the supply for these items will eventually meet demand, or demand will go down when the temporary panic subsides, which means that an equilibrium will be met and the shortages will be no more. However, in the meantime, temporary shortages in other nations like Italy and Australia have caused a large amount of social tension and several fights have broken out over toilet paper. <laughs> As ridiculous as it sounds, this is a good barometer for measuring how severe the situation could get if food becomes part of a temporary shortage. Uh, additionally, this social tension, or panic as the mainstream media calls it, is made worse by the worldwide attempts to implement social distancing practices to control the spread of the disease.
another aspect that has been neglected this week has been a rather controversial tactic by the CDC and other healthcare management organizations. The CDC has urged people not to buy masks, citing the worldwide shortage and that ordinary citizens buying all of the masks don't leave any for healthcare workers who most certainly need them the most. Here's why that's a problem, and why some people have taken to calling the move criminally negligent, in fact. The underlying assumption is that hospitals use the same sources for masks that citizens use, which is false. 3M and Honeywell, the manufacturers for most surgical and N95 mask variants in the world, they've been stating for weeks that medical providers and government agencies will have priority over any masks that come off the factory floor. So hospitals will have masks long before they end up on the shelves for consumers. Also, the CDC's logic also implies that if you were to go to Home Depot or online or wherever and buy a mask, you are essentially taking away from the supply of masks that doctors use. This is once again false. Um, That's like saying that you shouldn't eat the food in the grocery stores because there are starving people in sub-Saharan Africa. The masks that are for sale are already on the market and therefore out of the hands of doctors anyway. Now, it must be noted that we have seen highly reliable reporting indicating that local hospitals are that are low on the food chain, as it were, have been trying to buy masks on the open market. Um, we've heard that several county hospitals have been trying to stock up on N95 masks by purchasing them from the local economy rather than going through official channels. Um, To us, this is indicative of a savvy hospital administrator seeing the writing on the wall and wanting to be prepared, um, sort of panic buying the masks themselves so as to be prepared for later. We certainly don't demonize them for this. This is a smart move for hospitals due to the bureaucracy of a nationwide supply shortage. Additionally, the CDC is saying that masks don't work, which is quite puzzling. Yes, it is true that the traditional surgical masks, uh, the antibacterial ones, they're not as effective as N95 masks due to not having a tight enough seal to fit one's face. Um, Besides, surgical masks are really meant for sick people to wear to prevent one from spreading viruses further. N95 masks themselves aren't a perfect solution either and have to be sanitized after every use and are also inherently disposable in nature. So, why wear a mask in the first place? Well, because they work many orders of magnitude better than doing nothing at all. Plus, there is the paradox of, if masks don't work, then why do doctors even need them? Why would anyone wear a mask at all? It simply just doesn't make sense for the CDC to say this. With this in mind, what is the CDC really trying to do? Well, we must first remember that one of the main missions of the CDC is to reduce the impact of diseases, either by reducing their spread or through any number of economic means as well. So, based on the statements made by the CDC and their actions as well, um, our analysis has come to the conclusion that the CDC may be trying to downplay the importance of wearing a mask to prevent panic. Here's what that means. There is currently a worldwide shortage of N95 and other types of masks. The CDC knows this. It's a fact. So if the CDC were to say, hey, you know what, it would be really great if everyone wore masks, mass violence could break out. People who wear masks in public would be targets, and who knows what could happen based on this extremely, extremely short global supply. So, by saying that ordinary people shouldn't wear masks, the CDC has created a social stigma. 
now, if anyone in the U.S. wears a mask, um, they end up on Twitter or on the news as a fearmonger simply for trying to protect themselves in the best scientific way possible. Saying that masks should not be worn when we know that scientifically they do work and that healthcare providers have their own market for buying them is grossly negligent of the CDC, in our opinion. Before the CDC's recommendation to not wear masks, anyone who did so was labeled at most as being paranoid um, or just some kind of, you know, prepper weirdo like so many people get stigmatized as being, um, especially in areas where the virus wasn't that widespread. Um, but now, even in Seattle and California and New York and Maryland, um, even areas where the virus is widespread and is having, you know, community spread, um, anyone who wears a mask is not only a paranoid, you know, prepper, but they're going against the authorities. Um, the CDC has succeeded in turning the American people against each other, or at least created the environment for that to happen. Now, as far as why would they do this, uh, who knows? Um, we've worked with the government so long that we can say that it could be as simple as somebody in a staff meeting say, hey, people wearing masks like in China could cause panic now, especially since the vast majority of Americans can't get them. Um, all it takes is a little idea like that to steamroll downhill and cause a problem like we have now. Also this week, Italy is in, for lack of a better term, total crisis mode. Uh, late last week, plans to quarantine over 16 million people until April 4th were leaked, and as one might expect, mass panic ensued. Thousands of people fled south, out of the affected area, which is the exact opposite effect a quarantine would try to achieve. Additionally, armored elements to include heavy tank battalions were seen maneuvering through the city streets in many Italian towns, which was just before Italy announced that the quarantine procedure would not only apply to a few select areas, but the entire nation. So, as of now, Thursday, March 12, uh, the entire nation of Italy is either under total lockdown or some sort of quarantine. There is a nationwide prohibition on public gatherings, as well as a nationwide curfew of 6 p.m. Also, no one can enter or leave the country, and many restaurants and other businesses are shuttered. By Western American standards, this would be, in effect, martial law. Although it's a little bit different in Italy, and really the rest of Europe as well. See, uh, Europeans, for the most part, um, are far more accepting of police and other authority figures showing more of a presence in their community. Um, for instance, it may look a little odd to see a full SWAT team uh, of officers with rifles, you know, body armor and armored vehicles, you know, manning a vehicle checkpoint or posted up on a street corner in an American city. But in most of Europe, this wouldn't even get more than a casual glance. So where do we move from there? Um, so it's kind of hard to say. Um, we really don't like to make predictions past a couple of weeks because things are changing rather rapidly. Um, just today, we've we've got intel that uh, suggests that you know several universities uh, have canceled classes for everyone in many many states. I think a couple of dozen, as of the taping of this, have said, you know what? Hey, we're canceling all sporting events. All college classes are canceled. Oh, and by the way, you can't come back to the dorms after spring break. So um, that's kind of concerning and definitely worth watching for the future. Um, as far as the supply shortages, uh, we've, we've got a team of a couple of guys, a couple of OSA analysts who are in their spare time trying to catalog and map out all the shortages. 
Um, but honestly, right at this point, it's it's becoming kind of a lost cause. Uh, you can readily assume that things like uh, you know sanitation products, staple foods. Um, doesn't really matter if it's a panic created by the media or a genuine supply-demand issue. It doesn't really matter at this point um, because it, it's reality in a lot of places. Um, just today, I uh, went shopping and uh, I couldn't find a single bag of rice um, anywhere at any grocery store within 50 miles of my house. So um, that's kind of concerning, and um, I'm glad we kind of you know personally stocked up here in advance. Um, but yeah, it's definitely worth uh, stocking up casually. Um, you definitely need to make the, the call as to whether yourself or your family needs to um, start stocking up more more seriously, I would, I would say. Um, it's not worth panic buying. Um, panic buying is, for us, defined as buying something that is heavily price gouged simply because you don't know if it's going to be there tomorrow or not. And for us, we're not really willing to be price gouged. Um, but if it's something you need, like medicine or, you know, a certain food product that you have dietary restrictions for, it it may be worth it in some areas. Um, the supply shortages are getting quite that serious, especially today, um, with the huge stock market uh, not quite crash, but decline of over 2,000 points in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Um, that's kind of concerning for a lot of people. So. Um, Definitely, definitely worth uh, having that conversation with your family and, and starting to prepare them for um, the things that may may happen. So um, this isn't obviously this is not to you know create a sense of fear or panic. This is just you know hey we just need to have these real conversations and and start thinking about these things because so far um, all of the predictions um, of us uh, here internally as well as um, some of the more um, prominent names in the prepping, survivalist, emergency preparedness, first responding community, um, even military intelligence community. Uh, a lot of those people are saying a lot of the same stuff, and it's sort of coming true. So um, definitely worth keeping a lookout. Um, we will have a lot of special episodes uh, coming up about how to deal with the coronavirus because it's obviously going to take uh, front headline news for the next few months, we think. Um, so... Uh, obviously, international issues will uh, take kind of a back burner to that, but we will continue to provide the best coverage we can of of anything that's that's prevalent in the international community and sort of the you know, tactical intelligence world. We'll uh, we'll keep you advised of that. Um, we'll also have uh, our very next episode, uh, kind of a spoiler alert. We'll have a uh, a whole episode dedicated to communications. Um, we're starting to see where communications and the ability to have a free press and have a an uncensored, unbiased, or at least you know at least you know where the biases are coming from type news agency are some of that may begin to be affected. Um, so we're going to come up with a full comm plan, a full old school pace plan for you guys who are in the military. And we'll uh, we'll definitely put that out as well as some new technology uh, that's come out for um, uh, communications for not just keeping in comms with us here at S two Underground, but also with your family and amongst yourselves. So um, stay tuned for that. We're, that's going to be coming up in the next uh, few days, hopefully, if we can get together and uh, uh, get that banged out. So um, before we sign off, though, a final sort of administrative announcement. Um, so. This week, we're happy to announce the launch of our online store. Yep. 
you can get your S2 Underground stickers, coffee mugs, t-shirts, and all kinds of other gear right now by clicking the link in the description. So just a note, we're hosting the store right now through Teespring, which is a company that basically prints our designs and logos on products to order and then ships them to you from their warehouse. So it may take uh, over a week to get your stuff. I think when we had uh, we had samples made of all the products, and it took us about, I think, eight days from the time we checked out to the time we got them. So it's not too bad, but just keep that in mind. Um, the very little proceeds that we get will go to our sort of slush fund for maintaining domain hosting, um, purchasing better recording equipment, and really just expanding the overall S2 underground project. The link will be posted below, of course, and on our Instagram page as well, um, right there in the bio on that page. We're going to be adding quite a lot of products and gear over the next few weeks, so check back often for more, you know, sweet, dope S2 Underground merch. And with that, we'll see you next time. Stay safe out there, wash your hands, and as always, fight in the shade. S2 Actual out.